welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the Blue and White Brothers. Two brothers, two takes, one team. Well, we are back on track. Penn State with a huge 51 to 15 victory over Maryland. And we're going to talk all about that. Um, and it comes at a good time because we've got Michigan right around the corner. That's going to be our next episode. But before we get into all that, I've got my brother Tom here. And Tom, I've got a I've got an important question for you. It's a mental health question. Am I still frothing? I would just like for you to chart for me your emotional contours of your life with regard to Penn State football since the Ohio State loss. Can you just okay. chart for me like on a graph, like yeah, visually no, it, explain it? It, it spiked out of the the room. <laughs> uh, like the, there's a graph on an eight and, ele- eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And Is this like a froth? Um, yeah, a, yeah, it went out chart. of the room. It went off the paper and out of the room. <laughs> uh, like the physical, you know, room I'm in. It went off the paper, out of the room I'm in, and it went beyond the, the known reaches <laughs> of measurement. Um <laughs> And and it happened again after Indiana too. Like I, that continued up because I was still angry because I was still angry about losing Ohio State. And then the Indiana game was, I mean, near catastrophe. Um, and then even during the Maryland game, where the we dismantling blew them, blew them out fifty-one. I mean, there was some things that happened in the Maryland game that, and we'll get into like certain aspects of it. Like, yes, it was fifty-one to fifteen, unbelievable. Like, you know smattering of Maryland's hopes of beating Penn State but you know certain things were were little little signs that that like you know things that didn't look clean against Maryland are going to rear their head against a team like Michigan so that's why I was like still fuming about various things we had poorly timed penalties so I I I still was feeling it and then after the game was over the the bubbling and frothing subsided, and I was like, "All right, I'm ready to put my Penn State uh, undefeated hat back on." Um, so, if you ask me about how we're going to do next year, right now, we're going to go undefeated, um, <laughs> and it's going to start this weekend against Michigan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, I'll be like, right now, I will be like that. The the you ever see the movie The Joker? Oh yeah, or Joker? I mean, uh, with walking. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Um, It's dark. It's definitely gritty. And and in the film, Joaquin Phoenix is just a depressed (laughs) schlep. Yeah, to to put it, you know, mildly, Mildly. I would say. Um, And he's he's looking at himself in the mirror, and he's got his fingers, his pointer fingers on each hand, inside the corners of his mouth, and pulling as hard as he can to try and make a smile while he's bawling out of you know crying (laughs) about his circumstances in life and he's just trying to put on a happy face you know to walk out there and be like everything's fine and that's me right now i think so in some ways you know <laughs> amazing yeah. i love it yeah, yeah i guess um i've been a little more steady um you know i came in one of uh, us needs to be I, I guess so um two both of brothers, us can't be crazy two takes two lives Two demeanors, uh, two <laughs> you know, I, spectrum. Interestingly enough, uh, this Saturday, uh, I, my morning was spent um, officiating a funeral for one of my members, and um, he was actually a very, very strong Maryland Terrapins fan. And, oh, um, man. Almost every eulogy, oh, like man. there were three eulogies, and all of them mentioned how much he loved Maryland. 
and Maryland football specifically. And, um, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, they're playing Penn State this afternoon. It's probably not after the Maryland. That's true. It's probably not appropriate for me to mention anything. No, definitely not. Either way. (laughs) So Uh, people, people at at my congregation, they know, um, they know that I'm a Penn State fan. I try to keep it on, you know, I don't mention it a lot. I don't make a big deal out of it because we are in Maryland after all. And football really is not that important, all things considered. Um, Speaking of, uh, I, there's a, a, a couple that's been coming to church more regularly the last uh, last year or so who are huge Ohio State fans. Like, uh, he was born and raised in Ohio, still has a farm in Ohio, and um, and I, you know got to talking a couple weeks ago and um, mentioned that we have this podcast, and they went and actually looked it up and listened to it. Apparently, and I, they must have listened to the, either the pre or post Ohio State podcast where I said something like, and I hate Ohio State or something along those lines. And, oh, and they, they caught Eileen this week and said, pastor's not supposed to hate anyone. Oh, no way. <laughs> they were they were apparently in very good humor about it. It was... <laughs> oh, good. I was <laughs> going to say, because it is in the context of fandom. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like, like I, neither of us uh, have real, actual, like, True. you put yourself in front of like a, a, you know, a family of Ohio State fans, you're not going to like... Pull out your your weapons no. and start fighting them like no. a Ron Burgundy, you know, news anchor <laughs> yeah. death match. <laughs> we know? might we might dream about something like that, but we wouldn't in actually a do joking it. manner, of course. Which apparently, they do this in in uh, European football, like English football. They do actually have gangs of of football fans that go around and beating each other up. I we mean, would not it, do that. <laughs> I mean, you hear about like Cowboys fans, like at other stadiums, like getting into like brutal fights, you know, over their teams. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's silly. I, I, you don't hear about that with Penn state fans. You don't even no. hear about that with Ohio state fans. You don't hear about that with Mich- Michigan fans. You might hear about it with some Michigan players over the years, Taylor Lewan, no big deal. Um, <laughs> well, all but, that to say, all that to say this is a little bit of a side trail, but all that to yeah. say at, coming home from a funeral, on Saturday afternoon, I, I feel like I had things in perspective and I was looking forward to just a nice opportunity to unwind. And when things started going well for Penn State, uh, it just, I was, I was in the right place to really enjoy the game. It was very enjoyable for me this past Saturday. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm back in, in good, good hopes and spirits after a two and a half week Kind That's of. quite an emotional roller coaster. You're in the stratosphere with your frothing, and now you're you're back down. It's well, because opportunities, <laughs> yeah, are there, yeah, and you just you have a very bad percentage. You know, <laughs> like you have a bad, if you're Franklin, you have a bad completion percentage about uh, from uh, you know gaining momentum with opportunities when it comes to playing the game of college football. Well, like they say, uh, you know, in the. Uh, Angels in the outfield. It could happen. It could happen. This could be the week, but we'll get into that with our next episode. Listen, if you want to lead the charge of Angels coming down to save Penn State <laughs> football this weekend against Michigan, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Oh that means you got to get your butt on the side in the stadium. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, right. You got to get down there, flapping with my your arms, team and you got to start yeah. flapping them, Andy. That's true. And not 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 flapping gums here on on the on the podcast. <laughs> you flap your wings. On the sideline in Beaver Stadium this weekend. All right, we can't wait. While I'm whispering, uh, sign yeah. <laughs> the well, opposing that, yeah, s- that's, plays into the. That's how the <laughs> that's how the Angels really did it in the in the outfield. They're yeah. calling signs. Talk about cheating, by the Astros, way. Astros baseball. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> 
Divine intervention makes the ball yeah. go where you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, we have really derailed. Hey, um, today's episode, we've got some news and notes. Um, we're also going to recap that Maryland game. That'll that'll be enough for one uh, episode. And then um, want to remind you guys to please subscribe and follow the podcast. Share with your Penn State friends if you haven't already. Now's the time. Another big game coming up. Uh, please write us a re- review. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or your uh, favorite podcast app. Um, And hey, send us an email for the mailbag. It's too late for this week, but next week we'll have another opportunity to to engage with you on the mailbag, blueandwhitebrothers at gmail.com. And with that, bro, let's go ahead and uh, look at our news and notes. News and notes. Well, a lot going on in college football as it tends to happen at this time in the season. Um, and I'm always looking for a way to try to organize the news and notes. Uh, today, it seems like the most uh, logical way to go about it is just simply going through the top 25, not all the games, but just sort of going in order from top to bottom. And uh, we had a couple of interesting ones in the uh, top 10 this week. We'll start with number two, Georgia who took care of business against number 12, Missouri, with the Bulldogs caging the Tigers 30-21. to 21. Georgia is not the team of the last two years. Uh, they, they've got some good elements to that team. They're, they're, <laughs> they're a good program, obviously, but in what world does a Missouri team come close to threatening Georgia? You know, so I, I, still kind of suspect in some ways. I, I, you know, we'll see how their season plays out, but you know, it's it's not super encouraging to see Missouri kind of hang with them for the duration of a game. All right, skipping over a couple of Big Ten teams down to number five, Washington, who outraced number twenty USC as the Huskies take down the Trojans fifty-two to forty-two. I just enjoy watching Caleb Williams lose at this point. Like <laughs> I have, I've enjoyed the losses last year. I've enjoyed the losses this year. Um, I, Lincoln Riley, I, I, they just fired their defensive coordinator, Alex uh, Grinch. Um, I mean, how crummy is that? That is against Washington, who has one of the better offenses in the com- country, and and that's the thing that pushes them over the edge. I mean, right? Well, I mean, he they've given up. I think they're averaging something like 35 points a game against their defense. Yikes. And we're averaging 11 points per game against our defense. So, I mean, that's just night and day. You can't win national titles. If you can't win a national title with a defense of our caliber, how are you supposed to win it with a deep, you know, a defense of the, you know, 35 points a game? Uh, yeah, that's that's average, by the way. That's their average. They've given Yikes. up a lot of points this year. Um, yeah, the Caleb Williams was noticeably um, emotional after the game. He went and rested his. He jumped up into the bleachers. He rested his head on his mom's lap while he cried. And then uh, after the game, in the post game presser, um, said he wanted to go home, uh, curl up with his dogs, and watch TV. Wow! And like basically forget about football. So. Um, I, this is a tangent, obviously, but but when you come into the season and you talk about, um, you know, you want to win eight Super Bowls. Um, he did a GQ expose. He wanted to win eight Super Bowls at the next level. He wanted to be the number one draft pick. He wanted to win a second Heisman. Um, and then he talks about how he doesn't want to uh, go to the Chicago Bears. He'll hold out. He'll stay in college. Dude, you got to go ahead and win games as a reigning Heisman Trophy, um, you know, you know, winner, 
you got to go and win g- these close games. You have to win them as a Heisman Trophy winner. You have to. And, like, especially to go, Joel mentions on the side here, you go, he, he wants partial ownership in the team that drafts him. Dude, they wouldn't even let Aaron Rodgers have partial ownership. Um, and he's like a, you know, Hall of Famer. So you, like, his demeanor, you know, after these losses and his demeanor coming into the season, like, it's that scary to owners to be like, uh, this guy's a bit of a hothead. Um, and he's a bit of a bit, bit you know, off kilter. Um, you know, you have to be rock solid if you want to be the, um, you know, just a franchise quarterback in the NFL in general, let alone be a partial owner. So that's my little tangent, Tom's two-minute tangent. Um, USC's got problems, and I, I don't know if they're going to fix them with Caleb Williams, or I don't know if they're going to fix – I don't know if Caleb Williams is going to come back next year and play another season, but you got to win games to make money even in the NIL world, and he's losing them. Okay. Um, I moving on. I got more I can do if you want. I, I can, <laughs> We're good. I got a there, whole I spiel, spiel. I'm personally, <laughs> I think Caleb Williams is a great player. I'm not a hater, but um, that was a very entertaining game. But anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Andy. <laughs> number seven, Texas squeaks past number 23, Kansas State, as the Wildcats fail to convert on fourth down and overtime, leading to a 33 to 30 Texas win. Listen, there's like Texas is obviously suspect. You know, obviously Alabama. That Alabama one has looked you know, kind of not as um, shiny as the season has gone gone on, and they should have won that or should have lost this game to Kansas State, in my opinion. But in in games that want, we need as Penn State fans to kind of go our way, we really wanted that Kansas State victory. Um, obviously, we got to win the game against Michigan this weekend. But like, there's a whole slew of of things that help Penn State in the long run, and this is one that we would have really wanted to go our way and. and and it didn't. And, um, you know, they, they were without Quinn Ewers. They're playing with their backup. I think his name's Malik Murphy. Uh, and yeah, they got it done. Any, any way you can get a victory any Saturday, it's a good, it's a good victory. As we learned last week. Um, <clears throat> next one, number eight, Alabama bullies, number 14, LSU for a dominant 42 to 28 win. Yeah, um, LSU doesn't have defense. That's what I take away from this. They have, they have, a, you know, I think their quarterback is like a Heisman front runner, at least statistically speaking. He's outpacing Joe Burrow's Heisman season in yards and points and touchdowns and whatever it is. And they just couldn't get it going against a, a good defense. And then their defense let up 42. Um, and just real quick, going back to Texas winning a close one, um, you know, Franklin talked about like how Penn State gets like viewed differently when it loses close ones or wins close ones, you know, Ohio State and Indiana. And I think he's right, at least in terms of how his own fan base views it. Like, like we're we, like Texas, like are they getting raked over the coals by their own, um, you know, uh, fan base? You know, is LSU getting raked over the coals by their own fan base? Like. We have to keep this into context, like week to week. It's hard to win, and and I as a fan have to keep that into context week to week as it's hard to win. And Penn State playing, you know, a hangover game against Indiana, they got it done, but you know they lost to the CFP number one team by a, you know a score. And we got to keep that into context moving forward. Moving through the top ten, Gundy was giddy after number twenty two Oklahoma State. Upset number nine, Oklahoma, and the last scheduled Bedlam game with a 27 to 24 victory. More like Gathman was giddy writing that line there. <laughs> Thank, um, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, Oklahoma pretenders lost, you know, uh, you know, a top. 
they're a top ten team, ranked ninth or just ahead of Penn State. Um, and yeah, you just if you're Oklahoma, you're thinking you're going to the SEC and you've you've lost what is this their second week in a row they've lost now? I think so, yeah. Oh, Franklin losing two in a row. What are we gonna rake Brent Venables over the Colts the way we rake uh Franklin over the Colts? Um that's a, that's a tough loss for Oklahoma. That's a tough pill to swallow if you're a Sooners fan. Oklahoma State, their in-state rival, who's not had a great season by and large so far, and have had a bit of a, a bad couple of seasons leading into this season. Um, they're obviously going to move up in the rankings, but dude, Oklahoma, you're going to the SEC. Things are only getting harder, man. I it's a bad look for them for sure. Well, and this is um, another one of the outcomes of like this realignment. Of course, Oklahoma and Texas, they made their move a couple of years ago. So we've mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you know, kind of gotten used to the fact that they're moving. But this, the, this is the last Bedlam game on anyone's schedule for the foreseeable future. And, the, and by the, the way, for, the for Oklahoma State, who's kind of always been the, you know, the little brother in that relationship, at least for, for you know, as far as we can remember, for them to get that last win, um, that's pretty cool, and happy to see a top ten team go down. That that will need some space in front of us if Penn State's going to make a run to the CFP. Of course, this coming week's game against Michigan has a lot more to do with that. But anyway, um, moving well, along. Well, so, so we, uh, thinking about that, by the way, that Bedlam game. Thinking about like Penn State and Pitt. That's a game that's a disservice to college football and the and the fans in the state that you know. I look at this Bedlam game as yeah. like we should be having our own you know Keystone um, you know calamity. I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> nice, <laughs> just made, just I made like it up it. on the spot, but trademark. But you know, um, <laughs> Pitt had a ch- had a chance against Florida State at least somewhat on 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 the you know uh, the other day, and they they. They played like a half decent game. Florida State only scored twenty four, but like you know, they got murdered by uh, Notre Dame fifty eight to seven the other week. It's just like I would rather see you know Pitt playing Penn State every year than like playing games like against like Notre Dame. You know, like that's that should be us instead of Notre Dame playing them. In my opinion. All right, well, we're, we're going to leave that conversation to the side for a moment and uh, move on through the top ten. Uh, number. 10 old miss rallies past unranked texas a&m 38 to 35 as lane kiffin hands jimbo fisher his fifth loss of the season leaving the aggies up in the air over their future um first of all jimbo is has now up to this point in his career has a, officially a worse record than kevin kevin sumlin who just got a dui in maryland as he's a uh, a coordinator for for mike loxley um yeah, this is just like if you're, if dude, if you are J- uh, Jimbo Fisher, you're on your way out. These these tycoons are gonna p- pay your buyout, and that's probably great for Jimbo. He's probably like looking for a reason to no longer be in his buyout. By the way. It's like seventy-eight 70, million. Yeah, seventy-eight. 70, yeah, yeah. Million. We, we, yeah. I mean, not to mention buying out all of his assistant coaches and then paying right? a new coach. Can you? That's I mean, true. the unbelievable amount of money that would go into letting him go. I mean, well, well, the Raiders just fired their head coach, uh, Mike or McDaniel, what or uh, Josh, yeah, Dan- Josh McDaniel. And I think that between uh, Chucky, the former. Head coach, what I forget what his name is offhand. Um, they they have like over eighty million wrapped up in paying coaches to be fired, oh and that's gosh. that's a similar problem in college football. It's like you give these guys these crazy buyouts, and it's like it, by and large, it does not work out great. Like I, who's going to be the next Texas A and M head coach? I, I don't know, but like it feels like 
Jimbo could be on his way out. Um, they keep they basically keep like living on this idea that like we have the best recruits in the country and we're gonna somehow figure it out every year and it's every year it's the same old song and dance down there in College Station. All right, now out of the top ten into the rest of the top twenty-five, Tyler from Spartanburg <laughs> is a little happier today. And Dabo shows his ungrateful fans that he can still coach Clemson to victory as the unranked Tigers put on a clinic against number 15 Notre Dame in a 31 to 23 victory. That's a big victory for Clemson, a big victory for Dabo. He certainly will feel a bit of vindication in how he went about his, you know, the, his, the week leading up to it with Tyler. Um, but I take a lot, big thing I take away from this is like Notre Dame has been falling on its face. Um, with their opportunities this this year, that's now their third loss. Uh, I think that they'll still be in the top twenty five, likely, um, and they'll have a chance to kind of maybe move up as the season goes on. But but you, to me, you cross referenced this Tyler thing yeah. with Franklin and how Franklin <laughs> went about some of his um, musings in the week leading up to the Maryland game. I think that was, um, you know, before we got on online, I don't think we talked about it on the pod. No, we didn't, but I feel yeah. like I want to hear you kind of mention to our listeners what your take was in relation to D- D- Dabo's demeanor. Yeah. Well, so the backstory is that Tyler from Spartanburg called into a radio show. This was a live show. Um, and asked, Asking like basically like dude you're being paid ten million dollars a year and you're losing like what's the deal it was a better worded question than that but um, Dabo really like lit into him uh, in a very like it was a five minute rant it was a five minute long rant this is out there on the internet you can go look it up you know Dabo Sweeney Tyler from Spartanburg I'm sure you can find it but um, you know my take was like. This was a very, very bad look for Dabo. He's already been talking about um, Clemson fans being ungrateful. Um, and like it's a there very, are too many on the bandwagon and he needed to lighten the load. Yeah, and in, in this very response, the bandwagon, he's yeah. talking about people being grateful for, you know, hey, Clemson was nowhere until he came along and now look what, what they've done and they've won national championships and, you know, like people are just I mean, ungrateful. In a, in and they, a lot of respects, I, I, he's right, but yeah. he's also not the person to be bringing that message well, to the not fans. Not only that, but like the the just the level of defensiveness that he's showing, like it was, it was there was zero class in his response. Agreed. And then... Um, you know, when asked about it later, um, he doubled down and was even more defensive. I mean, Tyler from Spartanburg said something about, you know, Proverbs says, I know you're a man of faith. Proverbs says something, and I can't remember the quote. And then, you know, after the fact, Dabo says, hey, he went Old Testament on me, so I went Old Testament on him. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, like, I'm not, he's like, I'm not going to let some some kid tell me. Like, he definitely was highly defensive, highly yeah. defensive in a way that probably wouldn't have expected from Debo. But the la- these last two years, even though they won the ACC last year, these last two years have not been, like, easy on He's him. He's been as very a, as prickly. A, the, well, the national media has been, ha- like, hard on him, and his fan base now this season are being very hard on him. Uh, and yeah, maybe and rightly so. Maybe rightly so. But Yeah, actually, part you, of what Tyler from Spartanburg said is, like, you used to be humble and then you won a national championship and now you seem entitled. He talked about the people he's hiring. He talked about him kind of being arrogant and prideful and not figuring th- it was, I mean, and Tyler, said, Tyler's uh, view is very much shared by the majority of Clemson's fan base too. 
Yeah, and which, which no doubt relates to uh, Dabo's very so your point in relating response. it to Franklin though, Andy. Even before we move on, go well, ahead. You know, Franklin's dealt with this kind of attitude from the fans, high expectations. Um, you know. <laughs> Ohio State and Michigan State can't win the big one, all that kind of thing. And he's asked about these kinds of questions um, after, you know, every occasion to do so. And um, it's just, I have been thinking about how those two coaches have responded. And I still feel like Franklin is somewhat defensive in how he responds, but he has definitely showed a measure of um, class. He's shown a measure of um, just being a little more even keeled and how he's responded to it. Um, he talks about how it's important to be grateful for the wins. It's hard to win, but he's never like ripped into the fan ba- fan base. He's never, you know, talked about how people should feel. He, he just is encouraging people to feel a certain way. Uh, you know, got me thinking about how coaches ought to be responding to these kinds of situations. And I think uh, at least compared to Dabo, Franklin's done a much better job. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll have another opportunity to catch his response after the Michigan game. Um, he's largely been very measured and even yeah. healed. And I think that's, I think that's good, but he's still been defensive. And uh, you know, that brings up kind of the, the third coach example that I wanted to. And um, this is a little out of left field maybe for folks, but I think we've maybe talked here that I've started to get into um English Premier League soccer, uh, thanks to my son. And um, I follow a team called Tottenham Hotspur. And they're a team very much like Penn State, have not been able to get over the hump for a long period of time. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, They haven't won a league title since 1961. They haven't won the FA Cup, which is like a nationwide uh, elimination tournament. They haven't won the FA Cup since 1991. And they haven't won any kind of trophy for 15 years. And yet they're still a very good team. They're like trying to get into the top. Well, anyway, long story short, they have a new coach, a guy named Ange Postacoglu. And um, they're actually doing well this year. And he was asked about the fans and fan expectations and, you know, what that should all be. And, and his quote is, let them dream. It's what being a football fan is all about. It's fair to say that this lot have suffered a fair bit, so I'm certainly not going to dampen that. And his whole point is, like, this thing that we're doing with sports is for the fans. Like, it's about the fans. And he didn't in any way try to, like, diminish the fans' expectations or what they want or their negative emotions over the years. They said, look, that's what it's all about, and that's what we're here to do. We're going to try to help the fans have a great time. We're going to try to win, but this is what we're here for. That, to me, was the best answer I've heard about how you respond to, like, fan expectations. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, Penn State largely is recognized as having one of the best fan bases in the country. Yeah. And and it's been that way for a very long time. Yeah, like, um, even Franklin saying, like, we need to be grateful. Like, what are you talking about? We're, we fill the stadium every week. We are grateful. Yeah. You know, like, I, what I would really love Franklin to say is, we know they want a championship and we want it too. And we're going to do everything in our power within the rules to make it happen. And when they're disappointed, just know that we're just as disappointed. Like all that, like 
you know, I just, I don't like the being defensive bit, even well, though it's you, like, yeah, I mean, you know, okay. winning is hard. We get it. Well, winning I is do, hard. I do take it from his, <laughs> his stance, he, you know, 10 years and he's, you know, been trying to get over the hump and every year he kind of gets raked over the coals for not getting over the hump. So I get the defensive stand from that point. And, and so that coach is a new coach. You were saying, yeah. Right. So yeah. he's a, he, like, That's true. he's Fair allowed enough. to say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My, my point is, and like, by the way, I feel like you and I could easily be Tyler from Spartanburg. Like, oh, Asking those kinds of questions. And like, how would we feel if the coach ripped us a new one? Because we're just... It would be hard for me to continue being a a fan week in and week out the way I had been, for sure. And and so like, my point is like, okay, Franklin wants... And again, Franklin, I don't feel like has come anywhere close, that kind of attitude. But like, Franklin wants us to be appreciative, but I want to encourage Franklin to be appreciative and lean into <laughs> like lean into the fact that the fans care so much and they're they they're willing to give so much for the uh, for the program and they these stand coaches, behind the these program. Coaches are, create their own fan base's expectations though, right? Yeah. Well I mean Franklin so said you we're got, getting to elite, right? You right. know it's like he's creating an expectation. <laughs> He's created, he's he's created. So you got to live with the the ramifications of not living up to your own professed expectations and goals. Well, even so, like, look, there's one team that's happy by the end of the season on the you know, only one out level, of 133. Right? And so, like, even when you are a high level expectation team, as I think Penn State should be, you still got to find a way to manage those disappointments as a coach for the fan. I mean, you don't have to, but like, if you want to talk about fans expectations, you got to find a way to do it. And I don't think pushing back against it is a way to do it. I think you lean into it, appreciate the fans and say, we are with you because what we do is all about you. Like Mm -hmm. truly like, yeah. What are you without your fans? You're nowhere. Yeah. Like there's no $10 million contract. If Penn state isn't behind the program, 100%, you know what I mean? True. So anyway, well, that was, that That was not wild. We were not predicting to have that. Totally. That's for sure. Totally. unplanned. Um, Carry on with the plan of the day. All right. These are going to have to be legit 10 second takes. We'll go quick. We'll go quick. (laughs) Uh, Except for this first one here. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. All right. Here we go. Uh, Moving through. In this week's edition of Prime Watch, number 16, Oregon State keeps unranked Colorado at arm's length as the Beavers hold off the Buffaloes in Boulder 26 to 19. I almost went to this game. I'm kind of glad I didn't, although I'm also kind of, I wish I had because watching, you know, this thing go down as it is going down is kind of like watching a train wreck. Uh, it's the train wreck is like certainly happening right now. And I don't know if they're going to win another game this season to make a bowl. All right. Next headline soon to be ranked Arizona makes a statement against number 19 UCLA, UCLA as the Wildcats beat the Bruins 27 to 10. Um, Arizona's a legit team. They got a, a quarterback there who is a backup. Uh, he is like, I think he's completing as many passes, um, completion percentage-wise, as J.J. McCarthy, who's like one of the best in the country at doing a top five in the country. Um, they're legit. And UCLA has a real defense. Um Arizona could 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 spoil some other seasons for uh, excuse me other seasons for other uh, Pac-12 teams the rest of the season. It's it's they're kind of a fun team to watch. All right, rounding out the top 25, unranked Army grounds number 25 Air Force as the previously high-flying Falcons come back to earth in a 23-3 to defeat. 
Cody McKibben, my 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 good pal and part of our Penn State thread, uh, bet the under on this, and at, at the halftime it was looking like, oh man, this is going to hit the over, but it, it held true, and uh, I think most, if not all, the points were in the first half in this game. Um, yeah, I think everybody expected Air Force to 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 fly through that. They were undefeated. Game. Yeah, and that's that's tough for Air Force for sure. That's a big win for Army, and uh, yeah, great great game to watch if you're rooting for upsets. All right, just two games in the ranks of the unranked. Uh, West Virginia defeats Big 12 newcomer BYU as the Mountaineers bag the Cougars 37-7 to earn a three-way tie for the second-best record in the conference. Good for Penn State. Good for our resume. Good for, yeah. you know. So I had it in there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an important game for um you know, for for the Mountaineers, and I think I think uh, the, their coach O'Neill has, de- uh, excuse me, Neil is it Neil or O'Neill? I forget now. Um, he's he's whatever the head coach is keeping his job. I think going on after this year is my guess because uh, they've looked pretty good in, in a lot of their games, and that's a big win for them. Anytime you anytime you uh, you win a conference game, it's big, and they they murdered them. All right, last one before we head to the Big Ten, Sam Pittman. Fights for his job as the Razorbacks drain the swamp and defeat the Gators in overtime at Florida's home stadium, 39-36. It's a back-breaking game for Florida. They were already kind of having a rough year um, coming into this game, and they needed this victory to to kind of feel good. I, I'm not sure what, what the, the, the Gators' record is at this point. I think it could be like I, they're either – uh, they're I think they have five, three losses. Yeah, they're maybe they're five and three now. Um, so they were still trying to like. Um, I think they're five and three. I I could be wrong, but but either way, it's it's a disappointing season. It's now they weren't necessarily um, predicted to have like a like a nine and three year or anything like that, but they still were hoping to be like vying for their you know conference you know elite. Um, it's just it's not coming together under Billy Napier, and a lot of them are hoping he gets fired after this year. So that's tough for them. All right, moving to the Big Ten, we're going to take the two top teams as one. One headline: the top of the Big Ten East remains the same, with number one Ohio State beating Rutgers thirty-five to sixteen, and number three Michigan crushing Purdue forty-one to thirteen. I mean, what do you? Sp- <laughs> Rutgers gave Ohio State a good a good show. A good show for a while, and then their back broke on a play that I thought should have been targeting that ended up being a pick six. They were, I forget what the score was, but they were up. They were up at like nine They were to up six. seven to nine at the half. Seven to nine. They were up nine to seven at the half. Yeah. And yeah. They, I think they, and they were in the red zone about to score. And, you know, and that's when it all kind of came, came loose. Rutgers was playing a very good game against Ohio State, and it's a shame they couldn't hang on for, for much longer, but I guess that was be to, to be predicted at some point, you know, the levy breaks against... Rutgers is maybe the third, uh, fourth best team in the in the conference, I think. Yeah, after uh, that Penn State-Maryland game, it yeah, exactly. seems that might be with the um, and, and I don't know what you expect from, you know, the Michigan-Purdue game. Um, Purdue's the worst team in, in the conference, so, I, I, you know... That that I, I'm surprised it actually wasn't a bigger blowout. Too, I watched a little bit of that and quickly realized it's not really a good benchmark for how good Michigan is because Purdue's that bad. Right. All right. Um, elsewhere in the Big Ten, uh, hey, this is under the banner of it being a very good week for Penn State as our rooting interests couldn't have gone much better in part because of the tiebreaker, which is the record of our Big Ten West opponents. Hmm. And um, it was good for us in that mark because, first of all, Indiana found their mojo against Wisconsin. 
snapping a six-game conference losing streak to beat the Badgers 20-14. to It was fun. It was fun to watch Indiana <laughs> beat Wisconsin. Like last thing we need is is Wisconsin like crawling out of the, the the gutters and being like you know a team that actually vies for the kind of kind of position that we are in in the Big Ten. Which well, is not like, only so because that means Iowa now has the inside track, right? Or the Big Ten West because yeah. Iowa kicked a last minute field goal to beat Northwestern. Get this score ten to seven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, it was 0-0 zero, zero at the half. And t- took a one-game lead in the Big Ten West as a result. 0-0 zero, zero at the half. It was the lowest over-under uh, total uh, of any college football game in history of, of, the, of Vegas <laughs> over-unders. And the week before was actually also the lowest, which was like just barely a point total more, I think. So Iowa's really reaching new new lows and they just um fired I, well he was not yep. he's not fired Brian Ferentz I mean effectively it, well he's still going to finish out the season right and and you know <laughs> whether or not he gets over the 25 point per game mark is irrelevant cuz they decided to go in a different direction after this year um I mean point, I just really just feel fire like the they, guy too like I just should. feel like I feel like they took the, the all the excitement out from under us when we got to keep tracking the drive for 325 it's it's now it was a it's pathetic now over. Uh, amendment into a into a contract, you know, like wh- dude, they scored ten points this past week and won. Yeah, <laughs> that just goes to show you how how bad their offenses is and how good their defense is. Like yeah. you have partnered one of the best defenses ever, year in and year out, with one of the worst offenses ever. And to me, that's even grounds for like your coach being fired too. And maybe he will be after this season. Who knows. But what your point is that Iowa is a team that we shut out 31 or nothing could very well find themselves in the Big Ten West. Uh, hey, that's from a, from a CFP perspective, the, the committee, that's a that's a quality win if you beat uh, the, the hands-down Big Ten West, Big Ten champ. West champ. Is it, though? Is it? I by, mean, the way, by the way, not a single offensive coordinator in the Big Ten West of all the other six teams in the Big Ten West, if they all had that same contract in their, uh, you know, the verbiage in their contract about needing to score 25 points per game or more, not a single one of them to this point in the season would keep their job. They're all historically horrible and under 25 points per game in the West. All of them. Wisconsin with a dairy dairy raid. Um, <laughs> you know, just it it's could just also bad. counterpoint. It could also say how strong the defenses are in the Big Ten West. No. <laughs> Doesn't we scored thirty one on Iowa? All right, All right? we scored Moving thirty. On. What did we Moving score against on. Illinois? Wait, we still put, put was we've been over thirty points against all our Big Ten West foes. They're not good defenses either. Like Iowa's is okay, I guess. But moving on, uh, the Spartans stopped the ascent of the Cornhuskers as lowly Michigan State humbles Nebraska twenty to seventeen. I mean, I'm all about that too. We don't need the Matt Rule era getting going either. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and and guess what? And they had Nebraska was a common opponent. Yes, of our yes, rivals. correct. So, yep, that's a big um, loss there. Yeah. Um, moving on, Illinois. This will be our last headline. Illinois stuns Minnesota on a last-minute touchdown drive by the backup quarterback yep. who had just gone in for an injured Luke Altemeyer and silences the home crowd in a 27-26 to 26 victory. 
Uh, you know, that's also a, Minnesota's a common opponent of Michigan and Ohio State as well. Yeah, and Illinois and, is and Illinois our opponent. Are, so that's really the kind of the turning point there of like our records, you know, because last week our record was below the mark of, of the tiebreaker. And this week it jumped up back above uh, being above the mark that we need. So stunning some help. This, stunning this some help. ending in this game was incredible. Yeah. All right. Luke Altamar, we faced him. He was a decent yeah. quarterback. Um, their backup came in cold, facing a fourth and 11 from their 15 yard line with a minute 24 left on the clock after Luke Altamar went out with injury. Illinois was down by five at the time, and John Paddock proceeded to lead the drive of his life. He went three for three in 85 yards passing, which included a game winning 46 yard touchdown pass. I mean, that just kind of goes to show you how bad Minnesota's defense is. And those defenses <laughs> of the West you were just trying to brag okay, about. Fair enough. <laughs> backup quarterback. I wasn't All bragging right. about it. I was just a counterpoint. You were bragging. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, man. Well, yeah. that, I think that uh, Dabo Swinney rant uh, really knocked us off. We're, we're um, way off track here. I don't care. It's, I don't is, care. We're having fun. Um, not really a whole lot of other headlines to talk about. Um, polls really aren't worth talking about because it's now the CFP, and that's not going to come out till tomorrow. And by the way, not until you know Michigan game is is Penn State's CFP ranking going to really have significant implications. So I'm going to set that aside. And um, we, we already talked about Brian Ferentz. That's a big news in the Big Ten. Um, we'll talk about the Michigan headlines that are off the field when we talk about Michigan next episode. The only other thing just to note, I think, is that um, the Big Ten released the actual schedule for next year. I mean, we had gotten the, who our opponents would be, but now we have the actual 2024 schedule. It's not going to be all that easy, bro. Um, on the plus side, we've got four straight home games after our, our away game at West Virginia to open the season. And for the first time in like four decades, we have a home Big Ten game to open our Big Ten slate. So yay, Illinois at home to open the, the Big Ten part oh, of the schedule. finally. It only took having like legitimate conference al- realignment to, to jar that, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> like, been a problem. It's been yeah. a problem. Um, the season's going to start a week earlier than it has the last, you know, decade or so. Um, so starting we now, in week zero now instead of week one. Yeah. So we we have two <laughs> bye weeks, and then um, the the big thing to note is that we have a just a nasty six week gauntlet starting the the first Saturday in October. Um, we're home against UCLA, and then out on the West Coast against USC. We've got a bye, and then after the bye, we're at Wisconsin, and then back-to-back home games versus Ohio State, and then Washington. I mean, every single one of those teams could be ranked in the top twenty-five when we play them. Uh, I it, it's I mean it's it's gonna be tough for sure. Um, I don't like the way our bye weeks kind of lay out. You kind of said you 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 think that's actually good for us to roll you know roll out like after the first two games against West Virginia Bowling Green, and then you have a bye week to kind of get your offense in order, your defense in order. Um, maybe that will prove beneficial before we. I'm just saying, our- like it protects against Franklin's propensity to, to to drop a game after the bye week when you know you have it early, and then the next game is Kent State. Um, that midweek bye week probably is good just because you're coming off of the West Coast 
trip. Um, it's season by what you're saying. Yeah, sorry. Um, after USC, um, and then um, that's a curious place to have a bye week as between two road games. I mean, yeah. actually, it's nice to break up a road stretch between USC and Wisconsin. I get it, but at the same time, it's like, oh, it's like I'd rather have one like before our biggest home game or something like that. I don't know. Again, with the way Franklin drops. Drop well, games you know, after the bye. I'm to, not sure. I feel that way, but uh, you know, they gave Michigan a, a a better in my in my opinion the way you would hope to have bye weeks lay out for you. They gave Michigan their second bye week um, before their second last game of the season against Northwestern before the Ohio State game. So they get basically, you know, Northwestern's not going to be challenging Michigan. Yeah, that's a, pretty advantageous. That's for that's sure. like yeah, exactly. To me, that's that's a beneficial way of getting uh, a bye week. Um, I, I think you know you could ask for a better schedule given the opponents we have, but it's. It's not terrible given the opponents we have. The fact that the worst part is that you just all those tough teams in a row. And then we finish off um, at Purdue, at Minnesota, and then home versus Maryland. So the last three games of the season are are going to be much, much less difficult. But the middle of that season is just, it reminds me a little bit of Notre Dame season this year where they were basically playing ranked teams week in and week out with a couple of back-to-back away games. Well, and if Illinois That's gonna be gets a tough back season. to their, their winning ways of last year, like Illinois and, uh, Illinois and UCLA back-to-back could be, dude, UCLA's defense is good. And that'll be a physical game. And we're playing Illinois and UCLA back to back and then have to go directly to USC after that. So that's a tough three game, three week stretch. You know, it, it, I it's just you know, you're you're not gonna find a like the perfect schedule moving forward in the Big Ten anymore. No, but, it's gonna be but tough. It, but it is helped by the fact that you know t- a two loss team is absolutely in line for uh, you know maybe not a maybe not a gimme, but in line for the twelve team playoff. You I definitely a, think you know, and and getting only two losses is gonna be a lot tougher now as well. <laughs> I mean, we no doubt there, there are five teams there that that you know, right in the middle of the schedule who easily could be ranked. So I think, you know, the way we've been judging Franklin for the last 10 years, which is like, can't get an 11 win season. Like we don't have to judge him that way anymore. You're talking about a 10 win season gets you to the postseason, but that might be harder to get. Um, All right. Well, I think that's enough about headlines. I think that's enough about other football teams. Let's talk about Penn state, man. And let's Let's talk talk about about Penn state. Let's talk about this Maryland game. Dude, that was a dismantling. That was a total demolition. It was it was destructive. And, you know, I, I was reading somewhere that, like, Maryland in particular seems to be the recipient of James Franklin's ire. Like, he... Do you remember he was once the coach-in-waiting under Ralph Friedgen at Maryland? Yes. And then Ralph Friedgen was fired... And Franklin was not given the head coaching job they brought in instead. Unbelievably, I don't understand how they did this. Randy Edsel from UConn. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, Franklin went to Vanderbilt. You know, imagine if Maryland had hired James Franklin. We probably would never see him as Penn State's head coach. And you can decide. Not necessarily. You can decide whether or not it's a good thing or bad thing. But I think James Franklin hates Maryland. I think he has a deep burning 
grudge against Maryland and very you possible, know, very possible. You know, we said that about Iowa, like the way uh, Kirk Ferentz treated and Iowa treated Penn state a couple years ago, that seemed to, to really drive emotionally drive Penn state this year. I mean, it seems like year in and year out Penn state is shows no mercy against Maryland. I mean, like we didn't, we haven't beaten Rutgers and Indiana that bad most years, and but we routinely do it against Maryland. Um, I, yeah, he. I mean, you were the coach in waiting. How the heck do you not have a problem with Maryland moving forward if they just go outside of that coach in waiting kind of handshake agreement, or maybe it was even contractual? I don't even know. Um, but. That's that's got to rub you the wrong way. You have to then go on to I, and at the time Maryland were they they were not quite in the ACC. They were still or sorry they were still in the ACC. They were not quite in the Big Ten at that point in time. Um, not until twenty fourteen. So yeah, that was right. That yeah. was back in yeah. I guess a couple years before. Right. So I mean to then have to go to Vanderbilt, which I would say Vanderbilt's below Maryland on the pecking order of like what's a good job. Sure, you're in the SEC, but that's literally that's that's the doormat. It's the Indiana uh, of the SEC, or the Northwestern in their worst years, yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but you know, head coaching job is a head coaching job. Obviously, you got to take it. Vanderbilt's a nice school, great school, great uh, town to be kind of a you know living in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess it stayed with him long enough to to want to. And, and then, by the way, add, add on top of this. Um, was it under Bill O'Brien or was it under James Franklin when Maryland didn't shake our It was under Franklin. Yeah, was it? Are you sure about that? 2014. Okay. First yeah, they year came in the out, Big Ten. They came out and, and yeah, they came. Oh, right. That's that's a good point. That's because they weren't in the Big Ten under Bill O'Brien. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, they came out midfield, refused to shake James Franklin's uh, players' hands. And like, Why? Why did they do that? Like, what really? Why did? Because why? Because because of Jerry Sandusky from a couple years ago. Like, what does that have to do with Maryland? What does that have to do with you? Like, what does it do with the players on the field? You know, was yeah, it because of Sandusky? Or was it because of Frank, Franklin? Like, I don't. I have no idea. Like, by the way, the, Maryland won that game, <laughs> which made it even worse. Good. So then he internalized the fact that his yeah. old team yeah. didn't shake his players' hands and then went on to win the game. And I think it's it's fueled a deep seated rage uh, that you know resulted in the fifty one to fifteen dismantling. This, this was Mike Loxley's best Maryland team to date, and yeah. their best chance at dethroning the Penn States of the of the division. Um, and this is Maryland, maybe Maryland's best team ever. Like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe like as far as like, you know, personnel recruits, whatever it is, they were firing. They were on, they were on fire this year before this, this losing streak. They, they won four five games in a, in a row <laughs> that five, they've lost now. Yeah. They've won five, five in a row. <laughs> they won five in a row. They looked great doing it. Tally looked like, you know, he was on fire. He was the best passer in the, in the league essentially. Um, and now it's just completely derailed. And if you're like, if you're coming off a three game losing streak and you want to go, you have a home game against the top 10 team um, in Penn State, your border, border rival, and you put up a 51 to 15 shellacking, that's, uh, I mean, how do you, how do you write your season after that? I mean, they're talking they may not be able to make a bowl game after starting with five straight wins. <laughs> <laughs> 
because you got to play you got to play Michigan and you got to play Rutgers, who's playing really good football right now. Yeah, they look great against Ohio State. Um, so I (laughs) I rarely uh, message with you know people from other teams on message boards, but I made a comment about Maryland, uh, not 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 a skating comment, just that like "Eh, I don't think that this is going to be their year. I, I I you know I don't think like this is like I think oh I remember exactly what it was. I basically made the comment that like if Mike Loxley doesn't put it together this year, you know like. Why would they extend him? Why would they? They might fire him. Like if Mike Loxley doesn't win a bowl game or go to a bowl game this year, like he could be fireable. Like why would you extend someone like that? But a fan, a Maryland fan, was like, "What are you talking about? He's a, his wins have uh, increased every year since he's been a head coach." And last year they were seven and five. Yeah. Uh, again, you're saying they might not make a bowl after starting five and zero. Oh? If they start five and zero, oh, then don't make a bowl. That means they're going to be five and seven. Yes. All right. That means that they went from seven and five and having maybe the, mo- the the most veteran quarterback in the in the league coming into the coming into the season and like weapons all over the field and they didn't put it together to at least win you know one more game or even match last year's win total of seven. I, if you're Maryland, maybe you are going to look outside of um, Mike Loxley moving forward. Maybe Brandy Etzel's available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. Um, well, let's talk about the actual game. Um, and, you know, we came into this game with a fair amount of, uh, you know, trepidation because um, we had looked so bad against Indiana after looking so bad against Ohio State. And it felt like we were we were going the wrong direction. We were regressing in a lot of ways. And um, we said, you know, look, we need to get the passing game together. We need to get uh, a fast start on offense. And um, we need to put together a complete game. And bro, I, I think you got to check all of those boxes because we did that. Um, we, we had a first drive touchdown um, after getting, I think, uh, you know, a, a turnover, um, you know, before actually it was a turnover on downs because Maryland, um, you know, got up to midfield and they wanted that fast start defense got a turnover on downs. And then we got a first drive touchdown capped by, um, Dante Cephas's incredible grab, uh, fade, dude, we hit a couple of fade routes in that game. No one has thrown a fade route so good in recent memory as Drew Aller has been capable of throwing fade routes this year. And we have been like Clifford was not good at throwing the fade ball. No, he did it not was ha- basically he did not, a, he didn't a understand wish and a prayer. <laughs> yeah, he did, and, and they've been throwing fade routes for years that never worked with like guys like KJ Hamler or you know whoever. And we, we were always like scratching our heads, like, please, why are you throwing the fade route down here? It's a low percentage play. And you know, he was two for two on fade routes to to Dante Cephas in, on the day, and yeah, that and, one was and it was a be- unbelievable, the first one was just incredible catch. I mean, it's a it's like it's how you dr- like would teach throwing a fade ball. Literally, the ball they even talked about it in the game and replay. They're like, look at it go. The 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 tip of the ball goes up and then it goes down and, yeah. and it just drops right into the bucket. Um, and even like earlier in the season against Iowa, he threw this fade ball that that Keandre caught in the end zone, if you recall. Yeah. And I mean, he's Aller's a talented passer. I don't think anyone thinks, and, and he was on uh, this yeah, day. I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, he was seventy four percent for his completion percentage. Yeah, twenty five of thirty four. He threw for two hundred forty yards, which is you know uh, approaching you know sort of the upper 
half of, of his results for the year. No interceptions. Um, he threw five passes that went 15 plus yards. So, you know, it was a really great passing day for him. Um, Dante Cephas had a coming out party. That was one of the things that we were looking at uh, about this team. The receiving core just did not uh, do what needed to be done for you know certainly Ohio State and Indiana, but even the rest of the season. And Dante Cephas, uh, he had a career day, best ever Penn State uh, performance, six catches, 53 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah. I'm, I mean, um, and that was especially con- significant considering Trey Wallace was out, and, and we don't know if he's going to be back. Um, we were able to catch James Franklin's press conference uh, today because he, they moved it to Mondays. Yeah. And, and they talked about a couple of guys coming back, Chop Robinson and um, I'm I in mean, Vanover. But no word about Trey Wallace, so um, I think he may not be seen on the sidelines. He's side not done for week. the season, but we don't know when he's coming back for sure. Um, a couple of more thoughts on on you know Aller being on. So, you know he was twenty five of thirty four. Um, you know not, not perfect, obviously nine incompletions, but some of those incompletions were drops, and namely Tyler Warren, who did have a good day and a touchdown, four catches for fifty one yards and a touchdown. He actually dropped a touchdown and he dropped another uh, would be, I believe it was a would be first down. Um, so you know, Aller was on as you're saying. He it was, was one of his very, very. Sharp. It was one of his best days. I would say it's his best game since the opening week game against uh, West Virginia. It was really highest that way. Yeah, it was his highest uh, yardage total since that day as well. Um, and he matched his career high and touchdowns uh, in in a game. So yeah, it's just you know. Like, you know, when we look back on this season and we're like, what is Drew Aller? You definitely have to, like, look at it over the course of the season. Like, does he get better? Did he learn things along the way? And a lot of people pointed to that come from behind Indiana game where he threw an interception, you know, and then, you know, there were some remarks by by Drew that, like, you know, he has stopped overthinking and overanalyzing and is just going out there playing. He said after the um, Maryland game, he was just was out there playing and having fun. And when you're not hyper-analyzing yourself in the game in moments and trying to be perfect all the time, you know, it sounds like, yeah, that interception helped him get this, like, I have to play perfect all the time. So it's, it's like... It's like stopping him from playing the way he can play because he's he's just he's too tight. He's just too tight. You really and, hope that he he brings that mentality and that momentum into the well, next hopefully, game. It, hopefully, and hopefully it bleeds into his receivers' confidence levels when he's playing like that. Because then they're seeing him in the huddle loose and having a good time. So then they can play loose and have a good time along with it. Like Cephas catching those; those are. Like big boy catches he made. Uh, yeah, they're they're legit like top level wide receiver kind of catch. And he's a big receiver, and um, he played big in the game. He he had great hands. Like it was a it was a tremendous like a concentration catch when he as he was going to the ground and and got possession and his feet in. In fact, they called it incomplete. Uh, Initially, you know, yeah. on the field, um, that first touchdown catch, and then they went to um, you know review and saw that, that actually indeed it was a catch and overturned it, um, which is the right call. Um, but there were other times where I saw um, Dante Cephas where he was blocking in the in the uh, screen game and the short passing game, and and he was playing physical. He was playing with an edge. He was playing You're, with. You focus. really are hoping this is the thing that unlocks. This extra weapon we have, because um, because we're gonna need multiple players stepping up in this Michigan game on all plays, not just here and there, but like 
They they need we need weapons. We need people that that can that can come down with the ball, you know, and contested catches, um, you know, block. You know, this is a tenacious defense we're going to be playing next week, and we'll talk more about it uh, in the next episode. But like Drew Aller coming back and in the Indiana game, he's dealt with loss in the Ohio State game. He's dealt with embarrassment in the Ohio State game. They came back, found a gritty way to win against uh, you know opportunistic Indiana. They you know, intercepted a bad pass of his. It's like Drew's kind of getting some of these monkeys off his back, and now he goes and puts forth his best game of the season, and he, he unlocks a, a, a Dante Cephas along the way. Um, could be could, could be kind of interesting. Yeah, people are definitely talking about, like, is this, a, is this a turning of the corner kind of uh, game for this offense, namely this offense? Um, and you're going to need it to be. You really are. If you want to, if you want to achieve your highest goals, you need it to be, and you need it. You like the team is talking about it, like it, like it possibly is. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the defense, but I just want to uh, re- sort of recap the um, offense by saying, like that fast start that we talked about, um, that. Uh, turned into a complete game uh, because in the second half, Penn State went out and they scored uh, six times on seven second half possessions. A couple of field goals thrown in there, um, but I mean it was a, a, a hands down beat down. We we put uh, twenty one points on the board in the first half, thirty points on the board in the second half, and um, yeah, we even had a little fun while we were at it. Not only did we have another ineffective, I might say, uh, wide receiver pass, which seems to be a regular feature of the offense, not quite <laughs> sure why, but um, we also finally got the Bo Perbula package on there where, um, well, so Bo came in actually in a uh, goal-to-go situation by himself, and then the very next play, Drew Aller came out and stood right next to him, flanked out wide, and they had a little trickeration that got us a touchdown, a little um, flip pass to Theo Johnson. So, um, yeah, it seemed like everyone was kind of playing loose. The play calling was great. The offense had a really, really excellent day. Anytime you put up north of uh, 50 points, you, you know it's been a good day. Well, and we, um, also, we also scored over 30 again. You know, we right. we removed the Ohio State game. Yep. We we there were these um like stri- you know like streaks that we were on. One of them was scoring over thirty points a game, and in the with the Indiana game and this game, we're back to it. And as well as if you remove the Ohio State game, we had a, a streak of uh like consecutive quarters uh scored in. Yep. With the Indiana game, we're back to that. We have scored in every single quarter since the Ohio State loss, and we scored over thirty points in every single uh game as well. And on top of that a streak that we have still going we have not allowed a single point in the fourth quarter or the third quarter all season long and i believe that there's only one other team who has done that and i believe it's michigan yeah um, that's at least according to the in-game announcers yeah right and so the, the two best third quarter defenses in the country are going to square off next week um and by the way we as a as a scoring team um we've only scored four less points than michigan all season long and and that's just like you know it's interesting to see, you know as much as we have been critiquing Penn State like we are, when we're playing these other teams like we are putting on clinics in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's funny because you you just want success on every play and every down and certainly every quarter and every drive and you know we get frustrated. I know I'm speaking it for you and me right now. We get no frustrated doubt, no when doubt. they don't, you know. Um, but yeah, the the you know looking back over the season, uh, two thirds of the way through well, the season now. 
it's it, you know it's been a very very outside of that <laughs> outside of that Ohio State game it's been a very good season. Well, we and, and now we have a chance to show that the Ohio State game perhaps was an anomaly depending on what we do. We have the chance we have the opportunity to. It's just funny cuz you know like when we watch the game as we're watching the game we're looking at it uh, through the the lens of each individual moment only. Yes. We want perfection at all times. <laughs> yeah. But then it's you know have having this let's put it this way if we didn't have this podcast like I don't know if I would be like we wouldn't be forced into like looking at the bigger picture too much. <laughs> That's true. Contextually speaking, yeah, you know, like so as a fan, it has creatures of the moment. It has f- certainly forced me into like having the the glass half full, um, you know, take or stance more so than I ever would if I, you know, we we're recording this podcast every single Monday. Um, it's it's helpful to get over losses uh, in some ways. Um, helpful to get over losses to look at the bigger picture. The look because like go back to like some of our dark years and it's like, man, how do you make a glass half full in some of those bad years? I've been I've been pleased that we haven't had to draw on those uh, experiences. Like the 2020 season and our <laughs> oh first gosh. season in this podcast, like uh, we had to make lost, we had lost, to make the most lost, out of lost. all of that. <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. know how we did it, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I much prefer being on this side of the coin, but yeah. um, I, let's talk about the defense because um, it, it was a, also a dominant day for the defense. Uh, Maryland got two scores, uh, a touchdown each time with a two point conversion, which kind of irritated me, but whatever. Um, you know, the, the defense, uh, kept Penn, it kept Penn state from, you know, being in any kind of a position of having to be in a horse race with Maryland. And, um, they were just, they were dominant. And in so many respects, they finished the day with six sacks, 12 tackles for loss and four forced turnovers. Not only that, and this next stat, which was talked about during the game a lot, if you watched it, but it's still incredible. We limited Maryland to minus 49 rushing yards, minus Uh, 49 rushing yards on the day for Maryland. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's ridiculous. I mean, mean, a lot of that is, do you know what their average yards per rush was? Do you want me to tell you what their average yards per rush was? Yes, please. 3.1 3.1 negative yards per <laughs> negative 3.1 yards per rush. We lead well, the co- we lead the country in rush defense, Andy. We're yeah, allowing a game like two that yards. Help yeah, your- that'll help. <laughs> uh, we're we're average. We're allowing an average now of 60 yards per game and at 2.0 yards per rush. Like that's what we are to date, including the Ohio State game. And I we you know we'll talk Michigan still next you know next episode, but. <laughs> That's it's it's an unbelievable like if you could choose to have the, the number one rush defense through um I guess now what nine uh, games. through nine games could you could choose to have it you would you would choose to have it and not every year is it that we have in the nation's number one rush defense now we did we did going into the Michigan game last year too so that'll be a talking point uh, coming into this one for sure yeah. Um- just quick note on that rushing defense on the day. Um, a lot of that, those negative 49 yards yeah. um, that's related to the six sacks. But even if you take away the sack yardage, we still held them to negative two rushing yards on the day. They didn't have, listen, Andy, if you, if you like they, <laughs> they're, it was so bad rushing wise when you move the sacks, they didn't have a, uh, I think they had, 
They had one rush that went for positive yards, and it was the backup quarterback towards the end of the game ran once for four yards. That was their long carry on the day. It was with a backup quarterback. And their starting running back had five carries for zero yards, average 0.0, a long of one yard. And then the rest of them, there were two other dudes that had one carry for each of them negative three yards. Like that's how bad it was for Maryland running the ball against our team. So, I, I like, don't. I don't know how they um they they do the stat, but I think their fumble on the day, um, one of their fumbles on the day was on their longest rush. I wonder if that fumble took away what it was like maybe a four or five yard rush. I think is is when we we got it shouldn't take away. For, are you sure it wasn't Billy Edwards on that play? I don't Are know. Sure? I'll, I'll look it up. But anyway, it's all that to say. It's just an incredible, no, Billy Edwards. incredible um, uh, day uh, on the defense in that regard. Now, I just want to share a couple of the signs of the dominance, um, both offensively and defensively. All right. There was one rush on the day, a Catron Allen touchdown. It was uh, first and goal from the 10. And we were in the T formation. Catron Allen took the handoff, ran left, was met quickly near the line of scrimmage, and then he carried nearly every single player on the field on his back and with uh, the the defensive line pushing behind him, um, got into the end zone, um, flexing his biceps. It was was incredible. I mean, that's our our best running back on the year right there. I I don't think it's disputable. Um, Maybe he doesn't have that, like, high-end ceiling that we are expecting to to happen with Nick Singleton at some point. But to date, from what we've seen, what we we know now is we've got you know, a, a a bruiser. They kept they refer. You know, we we thought like, oh, we have lightning and thunder with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, and a lot of people like even last year they were talking about how it was like we have Reggie Bush and and Lendale White. Well, we don't necessarily have Reggie Bush right now, but we do have a Lendale White on our hands. Um, similar size, similar ability, um, bruiser that just gets the job done every time you give him the ball. That's what we got with with Katron and and our sorry excuse me Fat Man, we yeah, got we got our definitely. Fat Man having himself, um, uh, you know it's it's been they've been yards that have been hard to come by no doubt, um, but he's he's our dude he's our dude in the trenches along you know he gets it done in the trenches through between the tackles and and he's our best receiving uh, threat out of the backfield too, uh, by in the my way, opinion. That- uh, just going back to correct myself, that fumble that I was thinking of that's in yeah. the second possession, that was on a pass play. It was a short uh, pass there you go. play. That's why, yeah. Um, it wasn't a run that was fumbled. Um, so, yeah, just incredible uh, run defense. Um, speaking of the defense, um, closing out the game, bro, the defense got three straight turnovers on three straight <laughs> yeah. fourth quarter drives to end the game. And we I turned mean, them all into points too, I believe. We got we had at least a couple field goals and maybe one extra touchdown there, right? Yeah, that's right. We got a, a field goal after the interception, a field goal after the fumble, and a touchdown after that last interception. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, we got a safety, didn't we? No, that we did not get a safety on this day. No, we didn't? We did not. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah, at the very end of the game, we got a safety. 
Yeah, and then that's how we got the ball back to close out. The, uh, it was um, no. You're thinking of the Indiana game. Oh, I am. I am thinking of the Indiana game. My bad. <laughs> my, I I don't know why. It's a red these team. Red teams in this league. My brain just can't. I, I I'm gonna pull the plug. I, you you can talk by yourself now for the rest of this. <laughs> yeah, yes, you. All right. You I, have to go. I've to shamed out. myself. All right. Yes. Uh, put yeah, the yeah, cone yeah. of shame on your head. Okay. Good. Um, good, good, good no. I, um. You know, also defensively, um, really strong day for the linebackers, um, including Abdul Carter, who James Franklin mentioned in his press conference, um, just had a great day. Um, I think this was in a post-game presser. Um, and he said, goes on to say, when Abdul is playing well and the unit's playing well, then we're difficult to deal with. Um, he, he was flying around, um, Abdul Carter was, and, um, you know, he had six tackles and a sack. Um, on the day. And meanwhile, the rest of the linebackers were just incredible, including Curtis Jacobs, who had one and a half sacks, Kobe King, who had five tackles, and freshman Tony Rojas. Tony, Tony, Tony Rojas! <laughs> uh, came out of nowhere in Football the fourth quarter <laughs> to collect uh, the strip sack um, and an interception. So he got two turnovers on the day uh, to his name, uh, I mean, Tony he, Rojas did. PFF gave him a unbelievable grade <laughs> on the day. Uh, yeah, he it was. It, that's our that's our future linebacker uh, of linebacker. You, no doubt, he's he's a difference maker. Um, and we have needed Abdul Carter to step up this season. Um, and he he kind of really hasn't I mean there's a lot of plays that probably he doesn't show up in the stat sheet but like there's a lot of plays where he has removed himself from the play just by being out of position or shanking on a tackle um and this was his best day to date his best game to date um and he even said, like, uh, I believe in the post game, he made they're like they're like, hey, they're like, how do you feel about it? this being your best game? He goes, well, the season's not over, you know. Yeah, like, I like that answer. I want to, I want to have my best game in, ahead of me still. Yeah. Like, you want to get better every week, and and we're gonna need Abdul Carter to be a terror. Uh, to, against J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and Roman Wilson. We're going to need every player to play with their hair on fire with that home crowd, you know, breathing down Michigan's offensive backside. Uh, that's going to be important for sure. Uh, b- best game of the year for sure so far for him. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it was all around great game. Um, you know, we already talked about Drew Aller, four touchdown passes on the day, two to Dante Cephas, uh, two to the tight ends, uh, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. Tyler Warren uh, had another one. Uh, Penn State now has the nation leading 11th and 12th touchdowns from the tight ends on that, uh, on that day. Um, so we have the best tight end room in the country in terms of touchdown catches. And I still think they're underutilized. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, you know, I don't I, disagree. I, I, I don't mean, disagree. As far as between the twenty yard lines, I they're they're certainly red zone threats and red zone weapons. Um, but we got to get them much more heavily involved, um, streaking downfield with Drew Aller's arm um, in between the twenties. Look, a couple of quibbles, and you know, as we think about Michigan, and you know, certainly dealing a fifty-one to fifteen. Uh, beatdown of Maryland is is you don't you don't want to like undercut that too much, but when you think about a team like Michigan, there are a couple of things that I saw and you saw that um you know make you gotta say we 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 need to do better. One of them is um the secondary had another kind of so so game. We let Talia For the third game in a row. We let Talia 
complete his first 17 passing attempts. And until the, four, until the fourth quarter, when he was really rattled and started, we started getting a couple of interceptions and turnovers. Um, yeah, it just seemed like every single time he, he, you know, reeled back to throw, he was finding an open receiver. Um, so he, he was slicing and dicing, uh, you know, ostensibly what, what is one of the better secondaries in the country last few games. It hasn't felt like that. You know, when you think about what Marvin Harrison jr. Did to us, you think about those two long touchdown passes against Indiana and now what Talia did um, in our game. And I think I think part of that, for for what it's worth, Andy, is the opportunistic play calling and scheme that that Manny's been running, and I think it's just bitten him over these last three games in ways that we haven't expected to see happen. Well, and I would guess say at the same time, like our run defense was so incredibly dominant like yeah. Maryland completely abandoned the run yeah and um it, you know when I think we've been committed to stopping the run yeah. so um uh, interesting strategy if that's the case considering Talia is one of the better quarterbacks in the country at least certainly in the Big Ten um although maybe I mean you, turnovers four of them and I mean and that's what you're thinking is like there you make go. Him, it's six sacks 12 tackles for a loss make him play turnovers. mistake free you and can't we sure win did. the ball game when you're yeah. throwing for your life from third and long yeah like, which is yeah what, we'll give it we'll give some crap up here and there and yeah. sure it doesn't look good on paper especially Didn't feel good at the time it <laughs> look like the number one pass defense in the country for the last three weeks because of XYZ but on a day against Maryland you know, it, it was more than enough to get the job done. And the the, the other one is, I, I think, even more uh, disconcerting. And that goes back again to the Ohio State game. Uh, we saw it in the Indiana game, and it didn't hurt us ultimately here. But Maryland's two touchdowns, we could have had, dude, we could have had a shutout on the day if for it sure. weren't for untimely penalties. 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 Just uh, pull your hair out. Just pulling your hair out penalties. The first one was really a special teams blunder on Liam Clifford, who committed a roughing the punter penalty. Just you know, ran literally; he flew straight into him and gave you know gave him a second life, and they scored a touchdown on that drive. And then their second touchdown, um, which that came by when they were tailing by trailing by three touchdowns in the last quarter, but but that came only after two key 15-yard penalties extended that drive. Yeah, you, so, just, you, you think you just go back to that that drive, that 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 14-point swing drive for Ohio State yeah. when, when, you know, it had the holding call on Kalen King and then the personal foul basically right after that by his brother Kobe, and it wiped out seven points for us and it gave them their, their drive to continue to go get seven points. That is backbreaking against the best of te- best of teams. We're fortunate that we didn't have them, you know, swing the momentum of the game totally because we played so well for four quarters. But in a game against Michigan, you cannot be Michigan's the least penalized team in the country. We're going to talk about Michigan. I keep saying this, but you got to think about these games in the context of what we got coming, and and you this this Maryland you know penalty problem cannot continue like like i don't know what's going on in practice that we're like undisciplined at these at these wrong times untimely undisciplined nature of this team but like franklin better like run these guys you know every day between now and when it's like time to play if, if they're making these kinds of mistakes it's gonna kill kill our, our like our mojo in these big games yeah i mean so. just to your point um you know up to the point of that first 
uh, roughing the uh, roughing the punter penalty. Um, Penn State was utterly dominant. It was fourteen to nothing. We had just gone on. Yeah, you gave a, him a swing. A um, eighty yard touchdown drive, eight play, four minute long drive, and we had um, you know we had gotten them to um, you know punt. It was a fourth and twenty one from you know the Maryland 46 and we were about to get the ball back um you know defense had done their job and then the roughing the passer excuse me running roughing the punter penalty um puts the ball back in their hands and now it's a 14 to 7 game it's a one score game and it very much very much could have swung momentum we're very fortunate that it didn't Penn State was able to go and get another touchdown following that drive go up two scores at half um and then we had a great second half but you know, again, against a team like Michigan, that seven points because of a penalty, roughing yeah. the punter. Yeah, you can't. You know, do that. like completely undisciplined. It's like he completely lost his mind. You know, uh, he did. In fairness, he did come very close. I thought he had blocked it because he, <laughs> but he didn't. You know, he missed the ball and he ran right in. The, I mean, it was egregious. So um, it's been kind of different players each time who've had this lapse. Unfortunately, um, you know, but it just seems to be a bit of a problem where these penalties are this lack of focus kind of penalties are coming at untimely uh, moments. So um, hopefully that doesn't bite us against Michigan. But, you know, it is the kind of thing that could turn the game if, uh, if we're not careful. All right, I, you know, bro. I feel like we've talked it out. Uh, we've there's really not much left to say. You know, it, it was a great game. Got back on the horse. Penn State. I mean, Drew was smiling after the, everyone was smiling after the game. People were happy after the game. The joy of Penn State football and the football team was back. Um, and it's probably about as good as you could hope for going into what's now the biggest game of the season where pretty much everything's on the line. Uh, do you have any no, final it's, thoughts? It's all on the line. It's, this is, this is like how you rewrite history. If you're, you know, James Franklin, like this is how you begin to rewrite your next decade is by beating a top three team in the country. And you're uh, one of your arch nemesis nemesi uh, and, and <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, who's everyone's least favorite big 10 coach at this point. And that's, saying a lot because there's ryan day out there um so <laughs> yeah. uh yeah i mean like uh, the whole country's gonna be rooting for for uh jim franklin to, to beat jim harbaugh <laughs> so as far as the maryland game goes like yeah this was the true palate cleanser that we didn't have last week but yes. i do but i do believe the combination of the indiana grit to, to come back and win that game for by, by you know drew overcoming adversity and this team overcoming adversity in that game and then putting forth their dominant foot this game still things to clean up but um it's a lot to take away from from that and and you you really get a sense that the, these players are are rejuvenated and and have a certain type of energy going into Michigan week and and I I kind of you know as a fan, I feel that as well, and that's that's important for a fan to to feel like there's hope, and and I and I feel like I've got it here, and and I think a lot of other Penn State fans to some degree also feel that. Uh, I certainly w weren't feeling that after the Indiana game. That's I you know we sat there after the Indiana game, we're like, 
we're going to get murdered, <laughs> you know? So yeah, they did not, they, 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 they washed their palate. They cleansed it and they, they wiped the field. They wiped that Terrapin field with, with their own uh, shells on their backsides. And, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see you beat your border rival by nearly 50 points. Will that dominant win be a turning point for Penn State season? Will it be a turning point for James Franklin's career? Will it launch us into new heights as we go to face the number three team in the country, Michigan, at home in Beaver Stadium? Will it? I don't know, but we're going to talk about it next episode when we do that Michigan look ahead. We're going to tear it apart from every single angle. Um, until then, bro, uh, I just want to thank you for for joining me on this journey because it's always good to do it with a brother because it always starts with I love you. And it ends with I love you. We are Penn State. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 